Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we try to cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. And I'm Jay McKenzie. In the first of a series of reports, we'll discuss the Douglas Mackey election interference trial. Is the U.S. government putting a man on trial for sharing memes, or is there something else going on here? And the speculation about a total ban on TikTok heats up. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating and a review on the app that you're listening on. Be sure to subscribe at didnothingwrongpod.com to get our content straight into your inbox. All of our work is free, but we're extremely grateful for paid subscriptions and donations that ensure that we can keep doing this important work. Thank you. Who is Doug Mackey, and why are Republicans defending him? The trial of neo-Nazi internet troll Ricky Vaughn, real name Douglas Mackey, began this week. Mackey is accused by the Justice Department of, quote, conspiring with others in advance of the 2016 U.S. presidential election to use various social media platforms to disseminate misinformation designed to deprive individuals of their constitutional right to vote. The case is being heard in the Eastern District of New York, and while Mackey has received a variety of praise from high-profile Republicans such as Marjorie Taylor Greene and Tucker Carlson, pictures of Mackey outside the courtroom strike a rather lonely figure. The trial may not last long, though, as it's reported that the defense plans to call only one witness to take the stand, the defendant. Douglas Mackey himself. To recap exactly what he's accused of, here's the DOJ press release on the charges once again. Quote, the complaint alleges that in 2016, Mackey established an audience on Twitter with approximately 58,000 followers. A February 2016 analysis by the MIT Media Lab ranked Mackey as the 107th most important influencer of the then upcoming election, ranking his account above outlets and individuals such as NBC News, Stephen Colbert, and Newt Gingrich. As alleged in the complaint between September 2016 and November 2016, in the lead-up to the November 8, 2016 presidential election, Mackey conspired with others to use social media platforms, including Twitter, to disseminate fraudulent messages designed to encourage supporters of one of the presidential candidates, the candidate, to, quote, vote via text message or social media, a legally invalid method of voting. Now, we want to stipulate here that Griff and I had some run-ins with Mackie and the government's confidential witness in this case, another online troll known as Microchip. We are not impartial observers here, and we <laughs> believe Mackie deserves his day in court and may ultimately be proven innocent. However, it is worth discussing the fact that Republicans are defending a legitimate neo-Nazi account. Well, as we told you, the criminal trial, the criminal trial of Douglas Mackey is the greatest threat to the First Amendment in modern American history. Joe Biden's Department of Justice is prosecuting Mackey for the crime of making fun of Hillary Clinton and her voters with a meme on Twitter in 2016. And for that crime, Biden's DOJ is trying to throw Mackey in prison for 10 years. Douglas Mackey made a couple jokes about Hillary Clinton online, and now he is facing prison time. You didn't like the fact that you were the brunt of a joke, which is obviously all this was. And they're trying to use him joking about it with his friends as evidence of a conspiracy about him laughing about a joke that he made with a couple of buddies 
as if that's a crime. Is neo-Nazi a fair representation of Mackey's account, do you think? I would say so, certainly according to the Southern Poverty Law Center and the tweets and the gabs. What do we call those? Torbs. (laughs) Yeah, after Ricky Vaughn's original, Douglas Mackey's Ricky Vaughn account was first suspended on Twitter, he went over to the alt-right Twitter alternative gab and was posting there for a couple years until... 2018, when he got doxxed and essentially vanished after his name was revealed by Luke O'Brien at the Huffington Post. But yeah, it's this is a guy who talked about great replacement theory and had a lot of... He was vile. He was absolutely vile. Uh, yeah. His, at one point, username was Rape and Bill. He ran that account for a few minutes. He had a number of anti-Semitic posts that he used to run. He was as bad as anyone on that side of the fence. He had some some praise for Hitler or some praise for the Nazis that was rather emphatic and coupled with his quote-unquote concern for the white people and his denigration of the Jewish people. I just don't see any way you can say this guy was not a neo-nazi and the neo-nazi certainly thought he was one of theirs he appeared on plenty of their podcasts yes yes he did and when he got banned from twitter they pretty much in unison put up a free ricky hashtag and tried to get him back everybody it's chuck johnson uh it's wednesday night uh october the 5th um yep it's not good not good today today was not a good day it was not a good day because Ricky Vaughn, a friend of mine, guy that I've talked to on the phone, good guy, uh, was summarily purged from Twitter. Why? We don't know, but it's probably because he was white or conservative or shitlording or having a good time, but probably be, mostly because he's white. Uh, you mentioned the, the Rape and Bill <laughs> account, which I, I still remember the day that Don Jr. followed that account. and Whoa. Yeah, that that got a bit of attention on Twitter as it as it should, mm-hmm. not just for the name but for the history and all that. But it uh, it fits what we know about Don Jr. So I think this is a guy who started to play a character on Twitter, and he started tweeting as Ricky Vaughn in 2014, as far as I know. And yeah, he got really popular with that crowd, and quickly got on the Trump train and. He had a lot of fans, and it kind of took him places, but it also looks like it kind of took over his life, and I don't know what he's been doing the last four or five years. He's been offline, or at least as far as we know, he's been offline, but the indictment that led to this trial was in 2021, but there was always kind of that lingering sense once he got outed that either they were going to find him. Something was going to happen that he didn't just get to go away. No, no. And it's not just about a meme as much as some people want to claim, but the fact that Tucker Carlson is doing entire segments on this, the fact that MTG is tweeting about this and it's not really even a news story anymore. This, this guy is, was a blatant neo-Nazi. He posted direct links to 8chan, which at the time was, 
full. Nothing of, but neo-Nazis. Yeah, and harassment accounts and, and docs uh, posts and all these it's things. where people are, went when they were too toxic for 4chan. Think about that for a minute. Right, and that's ultimately where QAnon ended up because that, yeah. that got too bad for 4chan. So if he's being prosecuted for disenfranchising voters and not, quote, posting a meme as Tucker would like you to believe, why is the right choosing that particular framing? Because they don't want to suffer any consequences for the terrible things they post online, ever. <laughs> and we, we know this. They, they shitpost a lot. And of course, oh, it's just a joke. It's just a meme. You know, Jack Posobiec recently posts a deep fake and he just calls it, it's uh, AI pre-creation. And what's the big deal? It's probably going to come true anyway. Shouldn't people see what's going to happen in the future? So... Mackey essentially posted something saying, you don't have to show up in line to vote for Hillary. You can just send a text message. And people saw it. It spread around Twitter. It, according to the indictment, started in a DM room. Mm -hmm. And Mackey bragged about how he was able to essentially get people to create anything he wanted within an hour. He was He was popular, graphic designers, whoever would just show up and they would make these memes. And no, it's not clear how many people fell for this, but really the government just has to prove one person did. And this is like a unique case. They are prosecuting him under, I think it's the Ku Klux. Yeah. The Ku Klux Klan Act, Act, the voter suppression act that was passed originally to combat what the Ku Klux Klan were doing to stop black people from voting in the South during the reconstruction era. So this is an older law, and this is an interesting test of whether this is going to actually, you know, hold up. But it's also interesting that one of the other people in that DM room was also charged and pled guilty to a violation of the Ku Klux Klan Act. And they're letting this person testify under their assumed name, the argument being that Douglas Mackey never knew this person's real identity anyway. So... The idea that this person has a name and an address wouldn't really matter. They've let people testify confidentially in drug cases before, in terror cases, in cases where they've thought that there's a high risk of retaliation. And the feds made that argument in their filing on this, saying that whoever this person is has a high risk of being harassed from the right wing if their identity got out. And all things considered, like like you said in the beginning, we have had some experience with this person. I absolutely believe it. This is somebody who would be pretty much torn to shreds online if his real information ever got out there. At this point, this is a person who was literally one of the most vile trolls on Twitter. This is a person who has claimed credit for starting QAnon. This is another account who has routinely posted Hail Hitler and various other things of that ilk. And... This is an account that when things got really sporty, as it were, decided that they were going to turn around and, you know, become a federal witness. And I'm glad that they're finally doing their, you know, their duty and living a a respectable life. This is really a good change that this person has made, and we want to encourage that. But I can definitely see why whoever this is would be absolutely afraid of the potential online harassment consequences that they might result in this. Well, let's be honest. They're already kind of throwing shit at the wall here. We we 
I don't want to get too specific or mention accounts, but the people we follow, it's pretty clear that Douglas Mackey still has a good amount of supporters on the right that are, that are still online. And a lot of them are well now back on Twitter. So their posts are everywhere, but they're, there are also efforts uh, to figure out who the confidential witness is and what they know. And it, everybody kind of appears to have a different agenda. And I know that Mackey's uh, empty wheel, uh, Marcy Wheeler on Twitter mentioned that the, that Mackey's attorney said that they already knew the ID of the confidential witness. So I, I think it's going to be really hard to keep that under wraps Maybe they can pull it off, but it, it seems like it's going to be difficult. But yeah, we see people that are that are defending Ricky and attacking Microchip, and we see people that are trying to figure out who Microchip is, as has been happening on Twitter since mm-hmm. 2016. And the there are some people who know, but they're really not talking. So maybe it'll come out in this case, maybe it won't. But yeah, there's every reason to be concerned. But we don't know how it's going to play out. But if you're a confidential witness, and apparently Microchip is still cooperating in other unspecified cases, which is real interesting, because I mm-hmm. we don't get a sense of what those are or could be. But I think the the government is thinking outside the box, and this case is going to test them. And I, I think... Mackie might get off simply because it is kind of unprecedented and we'll, we'll have to see, but if they can get him for this, then yeah, it does threaten some of the, the right that are extremely online that post that just shit posts. It, it threatens their bottom line. It threatens their content creation mills. It does put them on notice that you can't, just say whatever you want on the internet, even if it's a meme, even if it's a joke, even if you claim all these things, if you, if you cross a certain line, then there will be consequences. Right. And they just don't want that. They, they don't want that trouble. And it also puts everyone else on notice that was in that DM room at the time with Doug Mackey and microchip. And there were many other people in those rooms, in those DMs, there's you know three other people in the indictment that were unindicted co-conspirators at this point. One of them is currently in jail. It's a guy by the name of Baked Alaska. There were also two other accounts who were listed as being part of that. But Ricky, or Doug, or whatever we're calling him here, was a part of an effort on the part of the Trump campaign that was sort of a stealth get-out-the-vote thing that they were doing called MAGA3X. Ricky was very tied into that. And if you go back and look at who else was tied into MAGA 3X, as was Microchip, some of these people probably aren't sleeping well. No, they're not. And it and it was not an official part of the campaign, but they were right there on the edge. I mean, MAGA 3X, yeah, Microchip was, was posting on it, and Jack Basobic and Cernovich, who at least had an in with Roger Stone, who was, again, kind of an unofficial participant in the campaign. He was part of the campaign in 2015, and then he quit, but he was he was there through the everything with WikiLeaks and all of the shenanigans with uh, after the Access Hollywood tape, and they ran their own little 
little disinformation campaign with spirit cooking and and which turned into Pizzagate and yeah, Roger Stone never really left. And part of the reason the government went after him is because even if he didn't have an official role, he still had some kind of role. And and I don't think we're ever going to get complete clarity on any of this. And I think, yeah, the, the guys that were in these DM rooms, or at least that were talking to the people that were in these DM rooms, we don't know what they knew. We don't know what they participated in. We don't know what the government knows and neither do they nope we'll we'll have to see and the fact that microchip is cooperating in other cases now those cases may never be brought they may be ongoing investigations that hit a wall and they they just disappear and and i think it can be hard for people i I think it was hard for people with trump because whenever they saw something about an investigation i think people jumped to okay well when's the indictment and an investigation doesn't mean an indictment, but it could. Mm-hmm. And this is the first, I think, steps towards finding out exactly what this is going to look like in the future going forward and what they knew, who knew what, who did what. It starts here. So it'll be really interesting to see how this goes going forward. From From what I take from it, really, and... Yeah, you can nitpick and say that the the government is uh, just finding excuses to prosecute memes and all this. But for me, when you realize that MAGA is an anti-democratic movement, at its core, they just they don't want like democracy and want something else. I think the government is looking at this and saying, if you're part of this movement, if you are undermining democracy and there's a law that we can basically, you know, if, if we think we found something that we can prosecute you for and you're undermining essentially the U.S. government and its day-to-day operations, then, yeah, they're going to come after you. And I don't have a problem with that. No, no. So speaking of undermining the system, should the U.S. ban TikTok? This is a question that's being kicked around a lot lately. A recent Business Insider article by Aaron McDade cataloged every country that has completely or partially banned TikTok. He writes, A growing number of countries are placing partial or total bans on TikTok amid data security concerns, citing fears that the Chinese parent company ByteDance could be forced into giving user data to the Chinese government or be pressured into amplifying or suppressing certain topics based on China's interests. The U.S. this week threatened the app with a potential nationwide ban if its Chinese owners don't sell their ownership stake. But TikTok has said forcing a change in ownership would not address national security concerns. Quote, if protecting national security is the objective, divestment doesn't solve the problem. A change in ownership would not impose any new restrictions on data flows or access, a spokesperson told Insider this week. The best way to address concerns about national security is with the transparent, U.S.-based protection of U.S. user data and systems with robust third-party monitoring, vetting, and verification, which we are already implementing. The list of countries that have partially or completely banned TikTok is small but growing. It includes the United States, New Zealand, the UK, Canada, Taiwan, and Australia, who have all put in partial bans mostly on government devices. Only India and Afghanistan have implemented full bans, while Indonesia and Pakistan have since rescinded their previous bans. Now, 
we know TikTok is hugely popular in the United States, especially so with Gen Z. Banning this from people's devices outright is going to make a lot of people in this country mad, and whoever does it will have to deal with the backlash, perhaps at the ballot box. But let's dive into the statement from TikTok's spokesperson a little bit. I guess the question is, will, quote, transparent U.S.-based protection of U.S. user data and systems with robust third-party monitoring, vetting, and verification, end quote, be enough to quell concerns about the amount of data TikTok is collecting and the likelihood that most or all of that data makes its way to servers in China? So can we say for certainty that the Chinese government has access to any data that reaches the mainland? Yes, we can. Companies in China don't operate without a government license, and part of having that license is agreeing to certain conditions laid out by the Chinese Communist Party. This includes allowing access to company servers. It's it's baked in. It's just how they operate. You have a country that has the Great Firewall. They control information on a scale that is very much big brothery. And I don't think a lot of Americans realize how bad it is, partly because they don't care, but they take this very seriously and they take it a lot more seriously than we do, which is part of the problem and part of what they're exploiting here. So Alan Woodward, a professor of cybersecurity at Surrey University in the UK, told The Guardian, quote, that even if there is no evidence that TikTok is doing anything with user data other than what is being done by other major social media platforms, the background presence of China will remain difficult to shake for skeptics. Quote, The Chinese government's pervasive yet secretive approach to surveillance means that those who do not trust them do not believe the lack of evidence is proof they are not using data from TikTok. Unquote. He says that considerable doubt is generated by China's National Intelligence Law of 2017, which states that all organizations and citizens shall, quote, support, assist, and cooperate, unquote, with national intelligence efforts. Woodward adds, I am sure that many companies and individuals feel strongly that they would never provide data from their customers to the Chinese state. But how could they resist? The law is absolute, and the government are not shy about punishing those who fail to comply. James Lewis, a senior vice president at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, which is a U.S. think tank, added, It's less about TikTok and more about the Chinese Communist Party. The CCP is unscrupulous and opportunistic when it comes to spying, so distrust is more than justified. Social media pages are a great source of personal detail for spy agencies, Lewis says, adding that intelligence is now a, quote, big data, unquote, game. The article concludes by saying, for others, data is less of a concern than the platform's potential for manipulation of opinion. Matt Schrader, an advisor on China at the International Republican Institute, a nonprofit organization, says the data issue is a sideshow. He adds, it's far less of a concern for me than the issue of political manipulation on the platform. It is difficult to spot, and there is limited evidence of its presence, but it is a concern to me because the potential for front-running, widespread manipulation of political discourse by the authorities in Beijing who have zero compunctions about using social media in that way. I think that was a good quote, and I think it's worth saying that I've seen some people complaining that, oh, it's Republicans are mad or concerned that TikTok is going to make Gen Z woke and 
oh, it's screwing with our our culture and they're going to turn all the kids into the Antifa communists and all that. But I don't think those are reasonable criticisms. I think the reasonable criticisms are the political manipulation that he mentions there, that it's kind of unknowable how the algorithm works, but it's, it's kind of unknowable in the way that psychiatrists know that antidepressants work, but they're still not entirely sure how or why they work with some people and not like, we don't know what TikTok is doing with the algorithm. We don't know how they're going to tweak it. We don't know what that's doing to people's brains, especially young people. And it is a form of manipulation. It and it's something for which there are no guardrails. <laughs> and Yeah. And what we do know is, according to the story here in the Desert News, that the version of TikTok that they allow their children to use in China is far different than the version of TikTok that they allow everyone else in the world to use. The analogy he used was it's the difference between spinach and opium. And I'm not sure that that's really where I'd go considering the history of all of it. But when you consider that Chinese TikTok imposes limits on their kids for how often they can use it and how much a day they can use it, it imposes content restrictions. It imposes what you can say, what you can't say. And you look at the American version and it's like, here, let me spread all of this crazy misinformation and watch it as much as you possibly can. And we'll just shove it down your throat. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just the US. Obviously, it's it's the West in general. And if you think about a guy like Andrew Tate, who is kind of number one worldwide misogynist at the moment, in he is in jail in Romania right now for uh, after being arrested on charges of, of rape and human trafficking. But this is a guy who didn't really matter five years ago. He was just kind of a misogynistic grifter, but they're kind of a dime a dozen, especially on the right. There's plenty of them. But how did he make a name for himself? How did he really get his message out there? Well, it was TikTok. Mm-hmm. And, and it spread so quickly and so fast with primarily a young audience, his primary audience is high school kids or maybe even younger, sometimes middle school. Mm -hmm. And now you've got schools in the UK that are essentially having to train their teachers on how to deal with the sort of misogynistic and hateful rhetoric that Andrew Tate has put out there that these young people absorbed and then started repeating and started acting on themselves. And that happened Honestly, his kind of rise to the top of the grifter pyramid there happened in like a year, maybe less. Yeah. And his videos on TikTok have gotten millions and millions of views. And okay, maybe, maybe he just figured out how to game the algorithm. We don't know that China or its intelligence services or anyone in the government is saying, yeah, this is a way we undermine the West. We can't prove or disprove anything like that, but there's no incentive for them (laughs) to stop a guy like Andrew Tate from getting wildly popular because he's a chaos agent, Mm -hmm. really. Where's the downside for them? 
Where's the downside in having an Andrew Tate become a big media star in a country that you are definitely adversaries with? If you're looking at this on a 50-year or a 100-year or a 500-year timeline, to have a guy like that be so highly influential to the culture and the generations that are coming up is definitely a competitive advantage if your people that are coming up are not listening to those same terrible ideas. Yeah, it, it really does kind of strike at the at the core of what unites us and what should be our shared values. If you're elevating a guy and, and a guy that's getting this huge reach and he's essentially a rape apologist. Oh, yeah. And there's been a lot of recent reporting on the things that he's lied about or exaggerated the the fact from fiction on his life. And clearly he's, there's a lot of stuff he's made up. It's, it's to the point that Andrew Tate got arrested and the Taliban is out there defending him because they've both said nice things about each other. And <laughs> I mean, another group you absolutely do not have to hand it to. You do not have to hand it to them. Is, is that a, message that <laughs> that we want to be Taliban approved. Yeah. But do we want that to be permeating our youth culture and giving them ideas on what the world should look like? Absolutely not. And that's to me the the thing with TikTok is it just we just don't know. Mm -hmm. There's so much we just can't know. And there have been plenty of scandals and issues surrounding ma manipulation on Facebook and Twitter and you name it, but at least the companies that are here in the United States, at least the government, they're always slow and they always take too long right. and the punishments are not strong enough, but at least they can do something or at least they can threaten to do something. And with TikTok, when it, with its owner ultimately in China, you kind of just have to, hey, guys, can you please? Oh, this doesn't look great. Could you knock that off? Hmm. I mean, we saw how well that went with trying to crack down on shipping precursor chemicals to fentanyl to Mexico when we tried to talk them into that and they told us to pound sand. I mean, we we have no leverage there. We have no way to ask for compliance in this particular matter because, well, <laughs> there's just nothing we can do. So are you saying we can't make Mexico pay for the wall? No. Unfortunately, we can't make Mexico pay for the wall. Man. Sorry. <laughs> Just going to have to stop doing the drugs, guys. That's the mm. only answer. Stop doing the drugs that they bring in. <laughs> Good luck. Okay, let's be honest. Is the U.S. government doing enough to protect U.S. user data here? No, not even close. And a lot of the people who oppose the TikTok ban are pointing out it's kind of pointless without more government oversight and control of what sort of data can be collected and in many cases sold to vendors. Right now, the laws are lax and extremely out of date. So we've got to admit, the people arguing this have a very good point. We're not doing nearly enough at home. I think those people have a great point. I think the consumer protection laws are just embarrassingly out of date. And I would preferably, if we're going to ban TikTok or force a sale or whatever it is, we would simultaneously update those. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to happen because good luck getting bipartisan agreement on this. But it is kind of ridiculous that, oh, we're so concerned about 
about user data. And that is that is primarily the argument the government is making. They're making it about the user data. And yeah, it, it feels like a pretty hollow argument when you think about how little they seem to care. But again, I do think it's different if the company is ultimately in Russia or China or pick a country, there's not a lot we can do. If they don't comply, uh, you can threaten them with a ban or... This is about it. Yeah. This is about all you can really do. And we know that China, Russia, all of these countries have laws that require any tech companies that collect personal information to cooperate with anything that the security services ask. Russia does this and China does this. China's the best at this. They take data seriously. It's a central component to their social credit system. And Russia is trying to emulate China. And they understand the power that this data can have now, but also could potentially have in the future. And I mean, I don't know how much people realize this, but in Russia and in China... And they literally put devices at the server point that are controlled by the their respective intelligence services. They put these devices at the servers where the data goes in. And at any point they want to collect it or siphon it off or whatever it is, they can do that. Mm-hmm. They, they can go in there and collect data on whatever they want. And that is baked in that is part of the law. So they justify it in terms of national security. But when they're collecting foreign data, I think some of it is really, uh, well, we've got it and maybe, maybe we'll find a use for it later. Which makes complete sense. And when you're operating on a big data scale, the way the Chinese are specifically at this point, there's no downside to them for doing this. And again, these are not people who think in five-year plans. They think in 100-year plans. So having the psychographic information and profiles of an entire generation of Americans, where's the downside here? Yeah. But it's not all about the data collection. There are huge questions about the way this TikTok algorithm works and the company's apparent lack of interest in clamping down on misinformation on the site, right? Yeah, it's a prolific problem. And TikTok's response to this issue has been the worst of any of the major social media companies. I think it's worth reading off some examples of articles from the liberal outfit Media Matters. You understand this is not some right-wing smear campaign or fear-mongering about China that the right loves to lean into. This is, again, from Media Matters, and it's just a few headlines, but you've got November of last year, right before the midterms. Misinformation about the midterm elections is already flourishing on TikTok. They said, this is Olivia Little at Media Matters. TikTok is woefully unprepared to combat election misinformation about the midterms. The platform has been allowing unfounded election conspiracy theories to circulate in the weeks leading to election day. And Media Matters has now uncovered that TikTok hasn't even taken some of the most basic steps to prevent its spread. They include allowing terms such as rigged midterm, stolen midterm, and stolen elections to be searchable. And 
of course, immediately return far-right misinformation about the midterms. Democrats cheat and corrupt midterms also return similar misinformation. So it's the bare minimum and when they feel like getting around to it. Part of this is it takes money. It takes real people to clamp down on this stuff and to take it seriously. And again, you can say, oh, well, maybe it's something related to the Chinese Communist Party, or maybe it's just TikTok doesn't feel like hiring the election monitors or the experts who know how to go out and clamp down on this sort of misinformation. It doesn't matter what the excuse is, but they've been allowing it to continue. And no tech company is good at this. None of them are. No. But none of them let things like, here's another one from Media Matters as well, a hoax that has gone viral on TikTok twice now, called National Rape Day. This is a panic-causing hoax in 2021. And in 2023, it went viral again. It was a hoax called National Rape Day. It went viral on TikTok. Videos garnering millions of views claiming that on April 24th, 2021, large groups of men planned to sexually assault women en masse. Now the same hoax is reemerging on the very same social media platform, which seems unwilling or unable to curtail the spread of viral information. While the National Rape Day hoax had been floating around the collective consciousness as an urban legend, it found new levels of virality through TikTok's recommendation algorithm in 2021. The earliest mention of National Rape Day on social media that Media Matters could identify was a tweet from April 11, 2021, that read, quote, Please, if you are in the UK, be safe. The boys have made a National Rape Day, and that's tomorrow. A screenshot of the tweet was circulating on 4chan's Paul message board the next day. So this is the kind of thing that you really need to let this happen twice. You really need to actually somehow let this happen again once it's happened once. Yeah, and you're always going to have people that try to find a new way to put this terrible material out there and welcome to the internet. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's new terms and maybe TikTok is a new platform, but it's not like any of these tactics or the way that they're trying to get around the censorship or any sort of efforts to curtail it is new. It's the same thing we've seen before. It's just a different platform. And I mean, maybe at this point we're, we're getting old, so yes. it's maybe a different generation, <laughs> but it's, it's, me a bath. <laughs> but it's not new. And it's something that you should, as a company, they should be looking for. They should know, how to combat it. It's not, you know, 2008 anymore. And oh my God, how I could never believe the internet would be this terrible. It's, you know, this is the internet. Yeah. This is, when was TikTok even, I mean, I think what it started in 2017. It's not like they, they've had time. They've had, there are plenty of people, government, non-government groups that they could reach out to mm -hmm. who could help them secure their platform, who could, implement uh, tools that they've used on other social media platforms. They just don't want to. And it, okay. We don't, we don't know if, if it's any sort of sinister plan or not, but it's, they could do this easily and they continually choose not to. Mm -hmm. This is again, media matters talking about these problems. And it's uh, again, Olivia little in February of this year saying, TikTok is hosting pro-anorexia content that targets children. Wow. 
Yeah, TikTok is hosting dangerous pro-anorexia content that targets children. The company's negligent moderation has created insulated communities of struggling young people encouraging their peers to starve themselves. TikTok has long failed to protect its young users from content promoting disordered eating, despite claiming to prohibit, quote, content that promotes unhealthy eating behaviors. Yeah, God, there are so many links to this article to other articles of like long and failed have hyperlinks and young users. And then there's something about TikTok raking in millions of dollars from ads promoting weight loss scams. No way. And this is all media matters. There, There is plenty of other reporting out there. Forbes has covered a lot of the issues with TikTok's data collection in terms of the site using keyloggers. Wall Street Journal just had one this morning that a not insubstantial number of government websites have found themselves with pixel trackers on themselves for TikTok, including states that have actually banned TikTok on their state devices. Yeah. And then when you start to look at, you know, there's reporting out there about members of China's intelligence services who work at ByteDance or at the very least employees of ByteDance is the is the parent company of TikTok and has their own Chinese version. You've got party members and intelligence service officers who have been employed by ByteDance and you start to add up all of this and the idea that one the idea that the data doesn't go back to China is ludicrous and and no one no one except essentially a, a Chinese propagandist who's issuing press releases or is going to argue that point at this point that like there was a there was a time that they oh no no it's all safely secured from oh it doesn't go back to china and there's been a lot of reporting for a lot of different outlets about no actually that data is going back to china mm -hmm. and then tiktok and ByteDance, of course said oh well it might but we wouldn't allow the government to have access to it and Again, it's ludicrous because if you, if they want to operate in mainland China, they have to have an agreement signed with the government saying that the government can have access to their data whenever they want. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's it's just not reality based, and the goalposts have kept moving and moving and moving. But it's embarrassingly bad, and all of these the misinformation problem, the data collection issue, the lack of transparency with the algorithm. You look at all the reporting on this, and who ranks worst in every category? It's always TikTok. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. always TikTok. Just terrible. And at some point, you know, they're absolutely right. What we need to do is we need to pass some very robust privacy laws. What they have in the European Union is a good start. We should seriously be considering some of this. But what we really need to do is turn this thing off. Yeah. And I honestly, I'm fine if you force a sale. And maybe that is the best option. Maybe that's what they need to do. I think I think TikTok and ByteDance are really going to fight that and attempt to not let that happen. But the idea of TikTok is not the issue for me here or for you. Mm. It's it's the fact that its ultimate owners can't really be touched and the issues are many and mounting and at a certain point they've made all these promises and they say they're going to fix this or change this, change that. And they don't do it or they slow roll it or they only kind of halfway implement it. And it just gets to the point 
where you add up all of these problems and you say, okay, because they are based in another country, our options now are ban it, force a sale, or just throw our hands up in the air and say shucks. And I don't think they should be saying shucks. Right. And if those are the only two choices, then it's pretty clear what we have to do. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast. If you want to hear more, you can go to didnothingwrongpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at James, the word four, and the letter M, all one word, and Grizza, B-J-J, G-R-Z-A, B-J-J, as well as D-N-W pod. Thanks again for tuning in. And remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong.